Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. We've got a rather eventful match to discuss today and that is Tottenham's late 2-1 win away at Marseille in the Champions League on Tuesday evening. Spurs uh, won Group D uh, as a result of that victory and are now through to the round of 16. Alice the Gold joining me as ever. Ali, all good with you? Yeah, good. Yeah, it's very much been a week of comebacks, hasn't it? It's just been absolute madness as well. I mean, had that VAR decision not robbed them um, in the sporting game, you'd you'd have had three kind of last gasp comebacks in matches pretty much, which I guess you've got to say shows real the kind of mental resiliency from this Spurs team at the moment. It might not be the easiest on the eye, but certainly you can't deny their fighting spirit and that we saw in Marseille and... Uh, yeah, we're talking about the round of 16 now in the Champions League, which at one point, you know, in that, especially the first half, that looked like a very, very distant dream. It was a, a classic game of two halves, really. It was just like two different Tottenham teams had turned up, obviously one in the first half and then a totally different one in the second half. And I mean, it was just a, a crazy evening in Marseille, but just in general in terms of the group, because every team in Group B topped the table at one point and looked like they were going through and then things just change really late on in Lisbon and then also in the dying seconds in Marseille as well. Obviously you were at the Orange Velodrome on Tuesday. Do you want to just give us your thoughts first of all on the game? Oh, it, was, it was just a mad game and the atmosphere was incredible. Um, this is what we find. We were kind of discussing this, the journos that were there, that as great as the Premier League is and as great as the fans are in the Premier League matches, there's something about when you go to these kind of, I say hostile because in kind of quote marks, because I didn't actually feel like, and it didn't seem to bear out that there was a lot of trouble around the game, which was great. But in terms of a hostile atmosphere within the stadium, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, Hugo, <clears throat> Hugo Lloris, I'm, I'm, my throat's feeling hostile right now by the sound of it. Um, Hugo Lloris kind of came out to do his warm-up. And honestly, the stadium was only a third full. And the, probably the biggest boos I've ever heard a human being have to go through. He even said afterwards, like, I felt so alone out there. Um, and it was just like that. The, the whole game, the Marseille had just made it this massively intimidating atmosphere. And you could see, first half, it worked. It played its part. Um, Marseille were the, the dominant team. Um Spurs very much doing the old let's naturally fall back, which is such a great winning philosophy. It works so well for Spurs. I have no idea why they do it. Um, and yeah, and their passing was abysmal. Spurs, pretty much all of the defenders' passing stats in the first half were dreadful. Uh, they just couldn't get the ball out. And when they did, the front three didn't hold it at all. It was just a kind of a chaotic mess of a first half, that probably indebted to Hugo Lloris making a couple of saves as well because the game maybe could have been beyond them. Um, and then, yeah, half-time, the, uh, the trio of Stellini, Mason and um, Lloris had their say and things changed. And, and a lot of the kind of the, the control of the game changed. And I thought it was a really interesting point from Hugo Lloris after the game where he spoke about the psychological battle of the match and he said in the first half Marseille had nothing to lose and you could see that in the way they played they played without fear they went out there they tried to get their goal and if they got a goal great 
But then he said second half, when they had that goal, you could see that fear creep into them. And suddenly they had something they had to look after and save and protect that lead. And Spurs were able to seize the initiative back because of that. Um, and it's quite a fascinating thing. Up in the kind of the stands, you don't really think that. But down on the pitch, the players can really sense that. Um, so, yeah, and that remarkable ending. I mean, how many remarkable endings have Spurs had in Europe? It's like incredible over the years. It's uh, Although, weirdly, recently, not many. It's, it's This kind of broke the run, didn't it, of not being able to win in Europe for a while. Um, but, yeah, a strange match. As you say, the huge old cliche, and it's never been more of a cliche than with Spurs right now, of rubbish first half, pretty decent second half. Um, and thankfully, those words at halftime did the trick because there was no Antonio Conte down there. No, he was up in the stands and the TV cameras did pan to him a few times. He was sat next to Greta Steinson. It was one row uh, behind Daniel Levy. And you're thinking, that's going to be such an experience for Daniel Levy. And I'm sure he had uh, some choice words in the first half going on Tottenham's performance. But oh, Conte yeah. was rather calm when Clement Longley scored. But it was a totally different story once Hybjerg got that winner and then he could yeah. celebrate the win. Uh, but Wasn't it sense- nice, though, to see him watch the game as the fans had to? There's kind of something about it I think that would probably be quite instructive to him. Just to, He won't have liked it, but just to take a step back and see it from a different kind of viewpoint. Yeah, most definitely. And I think he, he certainly won't have liked what he saw from the team in the first half. You know, going there, needing to get a point to go through. You know, Spurs could have been a couple of goals behind in that first half, the way they were playing. Uh, as, as you said, they just constantly lost the ball, uh, just couldn't get out of their own, you know, half at times and when they did manage to get the ball upfield it just seemed to bounce off the likes of Kane, Son and Lucas and you know defence were guilty of giving the ball away way too cheaply in you know silly positions and the same with midfield very similar for me to the recent Manchester United game where they just needed a period of five ten minutes just to get on the ball and just kill it and just basically frustrate the host and they just couldn't managed to do that and thankfully you know Hugo Lloris was uh, on hand to make a couple of key saves Uh, they did go close a few times in the opening stages they had a header what flashed wide at the post and Sanchez Mm. had an effort uh, as well Uh, I mean for the goal the Marseille one that was so poor from a Tottenham perspective then Ryan Sessignon let the ball go out of play, believing it was a goal kick and it was given as a corner. And then apparently, because uh, I didn't see it at the time, we didn't get any replays of it in the ground. But apparently, since people have told me it touches Basuma before it went. Yeah, it showed it on BT Sport at uh, right. half time. Uh, then they zoomed in on it and they definitely said there was a touch there, but it was one maybe Sessignon couldn't see because it might be right. such, such a deft touch. But from the corner, so poor. I know Marseille did play play quick, but Spurs were just totally switched off and Mbemba was in acres of space at the back yeah. post. Give him credit. It was an absolutely fantastic header from him. Hugo Lloris had no chance, but mm. from, the Tottenham well perspective, yeah, from a Tottenham perspective, you think just how bad is this? And obviously going to Marseille, needing a point, 
he almost got away with it in the first half by mm. keeping it goalless. Uh, yeah. But thankfully, they turned up in the second half and, you know, got the job done. They did. Although I do still have flashbacks to that Kalasanac header <laughs> late in the game <laughs> when everything could have been so different had that got in. And there was also a weird situation towards the end as well. And Mbemba, funnily enough, was the one who was complaining about it the most, that apparently the Marseille players were not communicated by their bench that due to the scoreline in the Frankfurt sporting game, that all uh, Marseille needed was a draw to go into the Europa League. So it's a strange one because obviously if they'd won, they would have gone through in the Champions League. So I don't kind of understand the logic. I think perhaps it was they just didn't need to go full out because, you know, the kind of, I guess, the runner-up prize was there for the Europa League, whereas they risk losing it all, which is exactly what happened. I think possibly that's the thinking. Um, but, you know, thankfully for Spurs, they opened up and yeah, left that amazing moment with um, Pierre-Emile Hoybier, which, you know, Hoybier recently, I mean, I know we're going to talk about the midfield, but he he's played a pass against Bournemouth that, uh, so, um, yeah, to Sessegnon, which any midfielder would have been proud of in the league. Harry Kane would have been proud of. And his finish, I felt, in the dramatic final moments was something that the top strikers in the world would have been proud of. He, technically, he's a quite a funny player, isn't he? Because he can produce these moments of technique, which are incredibly high. And in the next moment, you'll see him pass to someone about five foot and it goes to the opposition. It's very strange with his technique. Very, very kind of wildly inconsistent. But like I said earlier, I don't think they were helped by the, the front three in that first half. Lucas, um, I was looking at his stats when I was writing my pieces after the game, 61.1% pass success rate. And he lost the ball six times with poor touches, which is it's just too much. There's way more than anyone else on the pitch from both sides. Um, and Sonny, this shocked me. Obviously, we're going to talk about Sonny and the rubbish thing that happened to him, obviously, 28 minutes in. But in those 28 minutes, Sonny touched the ball six times. Six times. That's just... One of your star players is only getting to touch the ball six times shows you the huge problem that that defence was having and midfield in just passing the ball. It's just so bad. Um and that, that kind of summed it up. And like I say, I hope that Conte, up there in the stands, got to view and suffer a little bit like the Spurs fans do when they have to watch these turgid first halves and finds a way, because he admitted it himself, didn't he, last week, I think it was. He said something like, you know, essentially the team are naturally falling back into this thing. It's not something he's asking them to do. They seem to naturally sit back. And Kane, after the game, said they weren't getting the balance right. And what worries me is we've heard this before. I'm pretty sure Mourinho said it, and I'm definitely sure Poch, uh, sure Poch has said it as well. Why are these players' natural and tendency to kind of fearfully sit back? Because what it does, it ends up the fans will understandably say, oh, we're playing this rubbish defensive football. But Conte football, we know it, it's free-flowing best, is not defensive football. It's compact football but it's meant to spring into action and essentially obliterate teams. I think I saw a stat, was it yesterday? In 2022, only Bayern have scored more goals than Tottenham Hotspur. So this isn't a team that is just sitting there and just, you know, hoping for the odd break and goal. They're a team that can score goals. But if they're going to kind of play with this fear, and that was the, the big thing. We spoke about fear with Lloris and the psychological aspect of both teams. But I also feel Spurs, 
with the experience they had out in that pitch in the first half. I mean, it was the most weirdly left-sided, overloaded team possible they could have picked. It literally they had about five people that all would play on the left side normally. But what it did have was every single player bar Sessegnon had bundles of Champions League experience. Loads and loads and loads of it. Um, yet they looked, a lot of them, like they were playing in the Champions League for the first time. It was really, really strange. But then I felt second half, those same experienced players stepped up. You know, your likes of Kane, Hoybier, Bentenker, Perisic, Longley, I felt they all showed that they had this pedigree in this competition. And you kind of think, well, why aren't you doing that from the off? It's such a weird scenario. And you can see Stellini is getting a bit frustrated about it as well. Um, yet, I guess, third in the Premier League through to last six in the Champions League. Somehow, they're still kind of uh, pulling it out of the bag. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look so bad at all when you look on paper and see Tottenham riding high in the Premier League and then through to the round of 16. But it's when you look at the performances that uh, things don't look so good. At. And I don't know what it is in terms of the a team who, you know, are so poor in the first half and then look totally different after the break. Is it what some fans have said? First half, they're just, you know, trying to suss out the opponents, just conserve that energy and then go, right for it at the start of the second half but then again you're leaving yourselves in an awful lot of danger because you could be a couple of goals behind in the first half or is it just a case of the just uh the coaching staff have a proper word with them have a right pop at them at the break and that spurs them on i don't know but we all we want and all Tottenham fans want they're just 90 minute performances because that quite easily could have gone the other way on Tuesday and he could have gone the other way in a number of games so far this season I think they are getting out of jail uh, a lot of times but thankfully they are getting the job done I mean for you what do you think the reason is for the you know a game of two halves I think it is now a point where it's a psychological thing I think it is I think they always for that first five ten minutes come out quite brightly and we always think oh intensity is good all of that I do wonder whether there's a fitness element to it as well in that they've got these kind of huge stamina reserves built up because if I do think this is Giampiero's Ventroni's legacy. And I think what we're seeing maybe is that they're going from match to match and there's a little bit of fatigue when they start it. There's almost a bit of a rustiness, probably aches and pains because they're going straight into another game. Um and the same players, a lot of them are playing the next game three days later. And then maybe as the game wears on, perhaps physically, the adrenaline and everything is starting to kind of, I guess the more you play, the more your muscles are kind of loosening up, I don't know. And then the stamina kicks in. So we're seeing in the second half of a lot of games that they are, again, the stronger team. Um, I, I don't know. It's one of those where... The experts, the the managers over recent seasons have just not been able to to put a finger on it and sort it out. Because I'm trying to think this season what good first halves I can remember. And that's difficult. Fulham, uh, I think they played, okay, Leicester as well, but obviously Leicester was so poor back then. Yeah, South although they had to kind of win it in the second half, didn't they? Against yeah, uh, Southampton at home. But they started off poorly in that one, then got better. Mm. Obviously, once they got a goal, but no, they're very much a second half team. 
It is. It's like a psychological, almost like they need a mid-match kick up the backside. And whether that is a goal going in against them, whether that is a bit of a rocket at half-time. But I, I don't know why that is. Again, because like these are experienced players, like the likes of even Perisic. He doesn't need something to happen in a game for him to be more you know, professional or whatever. That's not the kind of character he is. So it's a very strange scenario. And yeah, we're intrigued to see whether kind of it changes in this game against Liverpool because they can't afford to do that. If they go into the Liverpool game with a poor first half, it could be all over by halftime. Um, so yeah, very, very strange situation at the club. But like you say, it's one of those where we can kind of moan and moan and moan but then look at the table. <laughs> it's a bit like, what? How has that even happened? It's, it is the strength of those second halves, I think, that has kind of carried them through. Um, and now, obviously, they've got two home games as well in the Premier League left. It's The onus is on them. They could quite easily finish third going into the, the World Cup break. They could, but it's on them. Um, but they've got to sort out the first halves. I think just on the Marseille game, it's... You go into such a hostile atmosphere and European games are really hard uh, at some places and Tottenham have had the struggles and, you know, some players sometimes wilt in those atmospheres. And this is Marseille who had one of the stands shot as well. So I think there was, what, 13,000 fans or something missing? Yeah, Uh, I mean, they still had 54,000 in there, so... Yeah, no doubt, a load outside making a load of racket as well. Oh, they were, Uh, yes. So, yeah, uh, all we know is obviously Tottenham need to be on it from the very first whistle in the games coming up, especially with a number of injuries at the moment. And, you know, if they want to go far in the Champions League, they're going to be coming up against better quality opposition who who can punish them. So it's something that needs to change and hopefully it will do once the likes of Dane Kulaseski, Richarlison, etc. are back on the pitch. Uh, I think someone else who we need to talk about in terms of the change in the second half, Emerson Royale, because he was the player who came on at half time. And I think just looking at Twitter at the time, a lot of people oh, think like, what on earth is going on here? Bringing Emerson, Emerson on at half time when Spurs need to find a way back into it. But, you know, credit to him. Had a bit of a mixed afternoon at Bournemouth, summed up by his shot on the turn that not only went over the goal, but it went over the Steve Fletcher stand. Uh, he gave Tottenham into the sea, I think, as well. <laughs> he gave Tottenham a lot more balance coming on at the right, and credit to him, he performed well. And this was literally a couple of minutes into the second half where he got on the ball. Lovely ball through to Rodrigo Benson Kerr, who then put it across the face of goal and the keeper got a touch just before Harry Kane got on it. And then I think Emerson put in another cross not long after that uh, the keeper had to gather. Uh, so, yeah, I know Emerson might have his critics, but I thought he played a key role in, you know, just giving Tottenham that balance, a bit more stability and just helping them get over the line. Yeah, you're not wrong about the, the Twitter. I, I put out a tweet before halftime started, because we could see him kind of being readied to come on. And honestly, within about 30 seconds of the tweet going up, it had about 100 quotes tweets of various people. And I didn't even have to read them because I knew exactly what it was saying. And I think the key word you said there was balance. I think because of the massive amount of left-sided players or left, 
players that play on the left in that team. Um, it just was missing that balance. And the key thing that he did, importantly, is he came on and did the basics right. And that wasn't really happening in the first half among a lot of those players. I did feel sorry for Ryan Sessegnon. He was getting a bit of flack afterwards, but it's almost like he played well against Bournemouth, scored a lovely goal, and what's the reward? Oh, we're going to shove you on the right. I don't understand why you've got Perisic and Sessegnon, and the decision there was, oh, let's put young Ryan Sessegnon on the right, whereas Perisic is properly both-footed. I don't. I didn't understand the logic of that. It completely nullified Sessegnon. Um, and then and Perisic, you know, wasn't great in the first half either. Then they switched them over. But I think by then, Sessegnon's confidence had already been hammered a bit by doing that. Um, and it just, yeah, it just didn't work at all. But yeah, fair play to Emerson. He came on and he did. He did all the kind of basic things right. He He worked hard. Definitely played his part in the in the improvement in the second half, and obviously the formation had changed as well with um, with Sonny going off and Basuma came on uh, to to the three five two. Yeah, it, it's 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 a strange one with Basuma. I I look back on it and as a whole, I do think in the second half he didn't do too badly at all. I did feel he was helping Spurs in the transitions and getting them up the pitch. Um, but we still haven't seen the Yuzbasuma that I think everyone expected from Brighton. And the, I do wonder how long that's going to take that process. And it may be that, you know, because um, he'll be around for the break, won't he? Marley didn't get to the World Cup, did they? So he's going to... I wonder whether that becomes quite a crucial period where Conte just works with him and says, look, let's turn you into the midfielder that Tottenham need while also showcasing what we know you can do. Um because, yeah, it's not quite clicked right um, exactly for him yet. No, it, it hasn't. He was given the chance from the off against Bournemouth uh, last Saturday and just didn't take it really at all. There was one moment where he received applause from Conte after, you know, winning the ball on the edge of the Bournemouth box, pushing on and putting across in what he got wrong. But other than that, he, he struggled in the game. And I think it might just be a case of, he had more freedom in the Brighton midfield to go and play, you know, his own way. And then at Tottenham, he's maybe more uh, earnest on the defensive side of his game and the tactical aspect, what Conte's made clear before, it's something he needs to work on. And it might just be a case of, you know, just trying to get all that right before we see the best of Basuma. But I think the roles are slightly different between Tottenham and Brighton for him. But... Yeah, he might get his chance again on Sunday against Liverpool because obviously uh, Son's injury means maybe another three-man midfield unless they go with free and attack. But then again, <laughs> they don't have many options going forward. But we no. will speak about that uh, in a bit. As well as Bissouma, uh I think it's only fair to wax lyrical about the other midfield too. Absolutely fantastic once again. Yeah, yeah, they were. Um, I felt there were periods in the first half, of course, they were overrun with the way that Marseille were playing. Um, but just they got better and better and better as the game wore on. And Rodrigo Bentenker, he is swiftly becoming one of my favourite Spurs players. Just the way he plays, there's he's kind of got a bit of everything of other midfielders. He's got that battling side to him, but he's also got 
a bit of a Dembele-esque presence to him at times as well with his composure on the ball. He will lose the ball sometimes in silly situations. I think that is just what his role, unfortunately, it makes there's more chance of that happening because of the positions he's in. But I'd say on the whole, he uses it really well. But what he's kind of added to his game now, I think, with <clears throat> the work of Ventroni, the late great uh, Jean-Pierre Ventroni, is that he's now got the most ridiculous energy levels. Um, and what I think is happening is that, look, in an ideal world, you want all of your players pressing from the front. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked if the likes of Harry Kane have been told by Conte, look, you're playing every minute pretty much. We can't have you charging around pressing in every game. Otherwise, we're going to lose you to an injury or you're just going to shatter yourself. And so it almost feels like at times Benton Kerr is like the lead press. He will surge up from like miles back in the uh, in their own half. And then suddenly he's up there challenging one of the centre-backs for the ball. Um, and that is absolute testament to his fitness and everything. And we saw that. And what he's also adding to his game, I think, is this this ability to get forward as well. And like you say, that ball when Emerson put him down the right was a really nice ball into the box for Kane. It was just unfortunate. Paul Lopez, former Spurs keeper, came out and just kind of got a hand to it. Um, but he's doing a lot of that. And I don't think it's any you know coincidence that we've seen kind of these two big goals from him against Sporting and Bournemouth as well. Um, he's added this attacking side to his game. And I think his partnership with Hoybier is growing all the time. Hoybier for me, it's just... I'm... I must admit, I'm surprised we're still at a stage where people are complaining about him. I, I just don't get it. I, I Honestly, I still saw after the match the other night, people on Twitter say, oh, yeah, we could upgrade him and all this sort of stuff. I just think he's one of those guys that you almost can't quantify with um, when you look at, I don't know, I hate to kind of... It's, it's not meant to be patronising. It's more meant to be sometimes the way we measure things. I do think sometimes perhaps it's younger fans I don't know will quantify a player with how they are on a FIFA or football manager type like these showy players, you know. You know, we all want a team of Mbappes and stuff like that. But I think with Hoybier he's almost got something that's almost unquantifiable unless you really drill into his defensive numbers and and the things he does on the pitch. I think the biggest indicator is when you take him out of the team, how fragile Spurs look. I really think that. I think they miss his drive and leadership. But also, on the flip side of that, he is adding this attacking side to his game. Um, bear in mind, I say adding, re-adding, because he did start off as more of an attacking midfielder when he was younger. But four goals, four assists. So that's eight goal involvements in 18 matches so far this season for him. And I actually asked him before the game. I said, like, where's that come from? Is it have the coaches been working with you on reintroducing that into your game or... Or, you know, is it just a natural evolution of you as a player? And he said, what it is, he actually pretty much dismissed the coaches. <laughs> he said, no, I don't think the coaches are trying to do that. Uh, he said, what it is really, he thinks, is just this comfort now. He called it within the bone of the system. I presume that's, I don't know whether he means the spine of the system or whether he meant just kind of the bones of the team are more fleshed out now. And, and I know you can't flesh out bones, but terrible metaphor um, but yeah, it's essentially he feels comfortable in there. Now he gets what Conte wants. He gets exactly what's asked of him. So he can do that, but then he can also have the confidence of using that as a foundation then to do what other stuff he can do as well. And I think he's been, like I say, that past assess was fantastic. The shot um, on Tuesday night was just pinpoint. It was the only place in the goal, pretty much, that ball could have been put. 
he was almost shocked, wasn't he? Like fell to the floor as he hit the ball. And then after that, he was like, I don't even know what to do. And Kane had to like hold his wrist and take him over to the fans. It was quite funny. Um, but I do think Benton Kerr and Hoybier, and bear in mind, you think a lot of the games that Spurs, it's really funny. Someone said this to me the other day, that Spurs have been dominated in the midfield in a lot of games. But that's nothing to do with Benton Kerr and Hoybier because they've been fantastic. I think it's to do with the formation and the system and, and the whole sitting back thing. Because I think those two guys have been so crucial this season. They're probably probably the two best players of Spurs this season. I think that probably isn't too harsh, is it? No, I think, yeah, yeah. bang on with that. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, everyone was saying player of the year for Tottenham's Pierre Mill Hoybier. But oh. I think Benton Kerr's definitely crept up uh, over the past few weeks and you, you know you could pick either of those for a player of the year and they'd both be worthy winners. I think with Hoybeck, I just don't understand this why some fans don't appreciate him. Maybe it's just the case of because he does the dirty work in midfield, the stuff that goes unnoticed, people don't pick up on what he does and maybe some because they don't score a lot of goals and assists, then they're not this brilliant midfielder. But he's adding that to his game this season. Uh, so that's so, so puzzling. And Rodrigo Bensica, wow, what a player. 15.8 million. It's absolutely crazy. And is it that within three years? And then there could be an extra 5 million on top, depending if Spurs achieve these sporting variables. Oh, yeah. So, he, because the 20.8 million is still an absolute bargain. And you're just thinking, what on earth are Juventus thinking? I, I mean, look at their team at the moment. It's so, so bad. Benton at the time, but at the time, it was kind of seen, especially in Italy as well, that they were almost like cast-offs. Yeah. That were just, yeah, what a great, well done, you've got rid of them. And it's like, they've been two of the best players in the Premier League since they've joined and, you know, I'm sorry, but the Premier League is not a, a worse league than Serie A. No way. No. Benton Kerr has been fantastic. I mean, Spurs needed him on the pitch against Bournemouth for that last 30 minutes when they were trying to find a way back into the game. And it's just this calm and composed presence he brings. And Spurs look so much better for having him on the pitch. And against Marseille, there was... A number of times where he won the ball and just got forward. I think there was one where he won the ball down the left, broke forward, played it to Lucas, got the pass wrong, but Spurs managed to, you know, work out. And I think that was the chance where Lopez spilled it in front of Kane and he couldn't sort his feet out. But that all came yeah. from Benson Kerr winning the ball. I just. So did didn't... Hoybier hitting the bar, didn't it? Wasn't that his like yes. little fast feet in the box and then got played across to Lucas who teed up Hoybier, yeah? Yeah, so both had big, big roles uh, recently. And Hoibieg, as you were saying, the goal was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> what a strike, but I think it was probably more a case of I'm absolutely knackered here. I need to just get a shot away, otherwise I'm going to get tackled. And But what fitness, uh, though? 95th yeah. minute to make that run. And I think he was struggling towards the end as well. Was he yeah. limping? So, yeah. yeah, full credit to them both. I think someone else who deserves a lot of praise, Harry Kane for the second half. Yeah. Really, really good showing up front from him. Yeah, second half. First half, he was a little bit like Sonny and Lucas. Um, that It wasn't sticking, really, the ball with him. Second half was complete opposite. I thought, I'd go as far as say it was magnificent second half. 
every time Spurs needed to kind of almost turn, release the pressure valve that was on them, they passed it to Kane and he just held onto it brilliantly. He would like use his strength, turn with the ball. It was one of those classic kind of front man low. It was, I know he had Lucas up there, but it was essentially like a lone man striker performance. Um, and for, I think he won the free kick, didn't he, for the long lay goal as well. He Pretty did. Sure. That, was, that was superb from him because, I mean, he yeah. had two or three players around him. There wasn't anywhere he could really go. So in that situation, you just want your striker to win a free kick. And when you've got someone with the quality of even Perisic over the ball, you've always got a chance. But Kane yeah. was fantastic second half. Yeah, he was. He was so good. Um, he used the ball well on the whole. So it was unfortunate, like you said, there were a couple of times when Paolo Lopez was just getting a little hand to the ball. Um, yeah, it's... It's kind of one of those, though. It's like you can't see when Spurs can rest him. It's just not going to be re- <laughs> like, even against Forest. It's like can they even now with the injuries afforded? Obviously, it depends kind of who's coming back in the next couple of days, and hopefully, there's a little bit of positive news coming there. But uh, he is just so essential to everything uh, Conte does with that team, and. The strange thing is, he's obviously flying with the goals in the Premier League, but Champions League, they've been really hard to come by for him. But his performances, for me, a lot of the games have really been good. They've, they've, he's kind of kept quite a high level, just hasn't unfortunately been able to put the ball in the net for him. Um, I thought he was superb. Um, and obviously grabbed the assist as well late on for the uh, for Hoybier. That was all about, was he going to take it into the corner? Was he just going to see it out? And then literally just, yeah. Sees Hoybier steaming through with Brian Hill in his wake and just thinks, yeah, I'm going to play this through. Yeah, very, very impressed with Kane, um, especially after losing Sonny as well, which, I mean, we should really talk about Sonny and the injury because that was, oh, it was, it was horrible. It was, it, from the moment he stayed down and they were kind of, there was a little bit of concern around him you could tell something wasn't right, but I think the more the most worrying thing was when he got up and wobbled. Uh, you hate to see that because obviously you worry about concussion, you worry about anything else that could have happened. You know, obviously one of the men on the bench, Ryan Mason, knows very well the, the horrible things that can happen with these aerial collisions. Um, and yeah, and and watching Lucas taking him off the uh, helping him off the field as well towards the end with the physio. That was. Yeah, that was worrying. And obviously now we know uh, Spurs obviously released the statement. It, it, Spurs have been quite um, cagey on what's been happening with Son. They've been very wary of releasing any information, I think, that could potentially, how do I say this, um, cause an overreaction or anything that's not 100%. Because obviously we know in South Korea, a nation's hopes really in the World Cup are resting on their star man, their captain. So it's completely understandable um, that Spurs don't really want to say anything that might create, yeah, an overreaction to things. Ultimately, what we do know is that, you know, he um, has a fracture around his left eye that needs stabilizing. There's been some talk about whether it's multiple fractures rather than one. Spurs have just said a fracture at this moment in time, and they're not saying any more. We've got Conte's press conference, obviously, today, which be interesting to see whether he keeps it vague or whether he's going to give us a bit more specifics. Um, and obviously, he's got to have surgery, which it looks like is going to happen imminently. Um, and then 
I think the reason that Spurs aren't giving too much weight is because, as they say in their uh, statement, pretty much, um, and as I was told as well, it's all on this recovery. Because if the surgery is a success, recovery-wise, it might be a quicker process. And obviously, he would be allowed to play with a mask. Um, and that would hopefully mean that World Cup, you know, he wouldn't be out of it. But it all depends on how it works. You know, stabilizing a fracture is not a great term, is it? It's not the kind of term you want to hear, and especially if there are more than one. Um, but yeah, it's one of those we can't really speculate on. We can't really say, oh, well, this is what will happen in this scenario. This will happen out because we don't know the scenario that comes next. We don't know how successful this is going to be. I, it's so difficult. You could even say on one hand, Sonny's being quite a quick healer on the whole, but it's almost like, what does that mean? You know, when you've got a fracture in your, you know, around your left eye, that's not really different to like a hamstring thing or an ankle injury. It's so, so different. So essentially we've got to wait, see what happens with the surgery. Um, see the word that comes out from that, whether it be from the club or whether, because Sonny obviously, hasn't don't think he said anything thus far social media wise um what was really weird was that after the game Stellini came out and said yeah it's not bad and it was a bit like okay cool but he said did say or he did qualify that but yes we still have to have a scan to see you know obviously if there's anything underlying and unfortunately there was something underlying and when everyone's seen that photo of the team celebration with Sonny Honestly, he looks like Rocky Balboa. He looks like he's been in a fight kind of thing. His eye is like swollen shut almost. Um, so we'll see. Obviously, it's going to be a big miss um, for Spurs in the uh, even just this last week because, um, yes, of course, he hasn't been on his top, top form. But, you know, teams like Liverpool, they fear a player like Sonny. They do. And I've, I've seen Liverpool fans on social media. They're, they're like obviously not delighting the fact that he's got an injury, but delighting the fact that he won't be available to face Liverpool. Um, so, yeah, honestly, I'm sure all our best wishes and everyone's go to Sonny because you don't want to see that happen to anyone. It was just such a freak kind of incident, essentially jumping up for a header. Um, and ironically, we've, well, myself definitely, uh, had given him a bit of criticize, uh, criticism against Man United for not jumping up and challenging was it Martinez, wasn't it, for the header that led yes, to kind of the, it was. the goal? Yeah. Uh, and here he is putting himself about, challenging for a header, and this is the end result, you know, wax into his shoulder, right into his eye. And, uh, yeah, not nice at all. Really not nice. And, and, and hopefully he gets well soon. Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's really, really unfortunate when he was just competing for the ball in the air. He... He didn't look great at all when he got up and then also in the uh, team photo uh, at the end. But I think what he can maybe take a bit of inspiration from is Kevin De Bruyne did a similar thing in the Champions League final yeah. in 2021. That game was the end of May, Euro 2020, started 11 days later. I think Belgium's first game was. He was named in the squad, missed out on the first game, but played five days later, uh, came on on the break and inspired them to a 2-1 win against Denmark. I don't think he played with a mask on uh, during that tournament, but with Son, it's going to be 23 days from the injury against Marseille to South Korea's first group game against Uruguay. I think that's the 24th of November, so a bit more time on his side. And yeah, just 
as you were saying, it's just going to be all about the recovery and just fingers crossed it's good news because everyone just wants to see him playing at the World Cup for his country, I think. Right, before we discuss a bit more on Marseille, as we are sponsored by NordVPN, Ali, do you want to just talk about the benefits of using them? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN, and you can use this service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, which means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favourite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. I'm sure we've all had a bandwidth throttle issue at some point. Um, you know, even just recently in Marseille, I, I was using uh, Nord to help me kind of because like I say, we weren't getting some of the replays from the feed that we had on our screens exactly as we wanted. So I was able to still watch my BT Sport from back home using NordVPN to essentially set my location as a UK. Otherwise, you can't watch a lot of the things we pay for if you're in another country um, because of certain licensing, I guess, restrictions. But, you know, hey, we pay for them, so <laughs> we should be able to watch them. Um, and not only that, but, you know, the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. That's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. Uh, for example, YouTube Premium is just 85p if you change your virtual location to Argentina. Booking flights from other countries can be cheaper too, meaning you're paying out for Nord but saving money overall. And, you know, you can watch various things. You can watch... Uh, maybe it'd be sports services from another country, uh, but you can watch them in the UK because you, you're setting your location to that country. It really does open up. Not only it's a security benefit because it stops people taking everything you don't want taken from your uh, equipment or various things, tablets, phones, laptops, whatever, but also, yeah, it does. There's this other element to it where you can access globally things that maybe you couldn't just if you were trying to do them from the UK normally. Um, and yeah, there's a whole other host of benefits from signing up to NordVPN. So yeah, I guess why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. And it's completely risk free with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. Right, let's get on to a bit more Tottenham talk from the Marseille game. Just briefly want to touch on even Perisic, because, yes, he did get the assist, but he also made a crucial intervention uh, with about 10 minutes to go. Alexis Sanchez getting a shot off in the area that looked like he was heading right into the net. Perisic, the right place at the right time. Brilliant, brilliant block. And he actually celebrated like he scored as well when he blocked that. So, I mean, that was great to see. And I think what you get with Perisic is just the quality on the ball. That was evident against... Bournemouth and then even against Sporting CP uh, a week earlier in the Champions League it did look like he was going to come off because Sessignon was ready to come on and then was told to sit down again Perisic didn't have the greatest of games but it was just the quality again it was just long balls over the top to Doherty and uh, Brian Hill to create chances and then the corner obviously what Rodrigo Bentenker scored from so Maybe he's not been at his best in the games, but it's just such a potent weapon for Tottenham just having that quality uh, from the set pieces. Yeah, no, he is. I, I still don't think he's hit that top gear. I still don't think we've seen the even Perisic of you know Inter Milan yet. But yeah, there's no denying that these assists are racking up now. The quality of what he's doing and his defending 
is an interesting one because I'd say defensively he is getting beaten at times down the wing, but I'd say in the box and making interceptions, he's been really, really crucial. And again, like you say, we saw that the other night. Um, and I guess that's it's a bit like Spurs. It's quite exciting to see that despite not reaching top gear, Perisic is still contributing a lot, you know, a lot in games. Um, and it's quite an interesting. I do like the the kind of comp, the partnership, uh, the complementing nature of Sessignon and Perisic, because each of them just gives you something that little bit different. Um, but yet, I don't think you can get a better kind of inspiration, example, role model for Sessignon than Perisic. And I think that will have a huge bearing on the rest of his career. I, I'm hoping when we when we talk in many years to come of England international Ryan Sessignon and and then whatever hopefully great career he's had, he might look back and say how pivotal Perisic was in his career. Um, obviously Conte as well. Conte loves Sessignon. Um and I and I do think they complement each other nicely. Yes, of course, I don't think they work well as a partnership in terms of one on the left, one on the right. I don't think that is a natural fit. But I'm intrigued to see, and we'll talk about this later, whether we do end up seeing them, let's say maybe against Liverpool, as a doubling up down the left. You might see that, and that'd be interesting to see how that works as a pairing, um, because, yeah, he is, he's 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 a classy player, Perisic. He is a very very intense person. Literally, everyone I talk around the club say that is a man, maybe even more so than Hoybier. That you talk to him, and it's almost like I don't know. Like, trying to think how to describe. It. I don't want to say it's like he's RoboCop or something. And he's purely like I am focused on this match kind of thing. But he is definitely very intense, and his whole career has been built around winning, which is why he's got more medals than most footballers can dream of. Um, but yeah, I think he's been a huge addition, and you know the long lay goal, chalking it down again to another set piece goal for the work of Gianni Vio, but also massively down to the quality of the ball from Perisic, which was just beautiful to that back post. And long lay as well, to be fair. Lovely header. I must admit, I was slightly worried with current VAR um, scrutiny of Tottenham goals that he did give his marker a bit, good old shove before he did it. And I was just thinking, oh, please don't say that's a foul when literally all players are doing that to each other constantly through games. Um, but yeah, he is... Uh, yeah. He's a terrific player. Um, and I do wonder whether his influence on Sessignon, especially with a Chilwell injury, whether Sessignon ends up being a little bit of an outside bet to maybe end up making that World Cup squad if people keep dropping out of it. Yeah, I think he's got to be certainly an option for Southgate. Obviously, there's Tyreek Mitchell, then James Justin at Leicester. He can play on the left. So there's mm. other options to come in. But you'd like to think Sessignon would at least be on this 55-man list that yeah. just in case Southgate needs to bring another left wing back in, then Sessignon's uh, right there. So Tottenham through to the round of 16. We now know who they could potentially face. Uh, it's going to be either one of Club Bruges, Inter Milan, AC Milan, Paris Saint-Germain, Borussia Dortmund or RB Leipzig. Six very tough games uh, there. We'll find out who they get on Monday when the draw takes place in Neon in Switzerland at 11am. I think there's obviously one team everyone wants to avoid and that's PSG because it did look like Benfica would be getting second place until they scored 
a late goal in Maccabi Haifa to win 6-1. And I think they went through just because they've scored more away goals. Uh, mm. And then probably the best case scenario, Look, just looking at the teams, it's Club Bruges, who you think is the, the one everyone probably will want to get if you want to go far in the competition. But what I would say, underestimate them at your peril because they came so close to winning the group. A very tough group and they will have been favourites to finish bottom with Bayer Leverkusen, Porto and Atletico Madrid in there. I think the beat Bayer and Atleti at home won 4-0 away at Porto. So, you know, that's going to be a very tough game and they'll be in confident mood, whoever they get. They won't fear anyone. I mean, for you, who do you want? I mean, it's a cliche, but it's true. Whoever you get at this stage of the competition is going to be a good team. (laughs) The fact that they've got there and they've had to play six games to get there suggests that, you know, they're going to be a good team. I think, I think Bruges would be a nice trip for the Spurs fans. Um, I've never been there myself, but from everything I hear about it, it's it's a cracking place to go to as well. Um, So you've got that element to it. Like you say, I mean, it is anyone but PSG, really. You really, you don't want to be coming up against, you know, your Messi's Neymar and Mbappe's in the uh, round of 16. If it's got to come, you'd rather that's a little bit later. Um, But yeah, the the other teams, I I don't know if Spurs desperately will want to go back to Germany again. We've We've had a few... German trips in recent years that haven't been the the most successful, especially Leipzig. Um, God, that was pre-COVID, isn't it? That feels like that was just when COVID was kind of creeping into the world. Feels like a lifetime ago. Um, the Milan ones are interesting, I think, for the narrative of you know, obviously, if it's Inter, it's going back to Conte's old team. Um, that would be just just you know, it'd be madness in Italy, wouldn't it? They'd be loving that. Um, I think I'd go for Club Rouge. I think I would. I, I totally appreciate what you say and the fact that, you know, they're not to be um, underestimated at all. But out of all of those, that's probably the one I'd like, I think, just for something a bit different as well. Yeah. What I probably would say is PSG is the one you don't want. You probably, your Milan clubs, they're both good. If it was Dortmund, I don't think that'd be too bad the tie because I don't think Dortmund are the team that they were a few years ago when Spurs played them and obviously they'll have Erling Haaland up front now uh, but yeah as we say whoever they get is going to be a hard game and what Tottenham will need to do is be on it from the very first whistle not from the 46th minute again so just in terms then of Tottenham going through to the next round what does this mean for the club? I, I just mean it means it's huge to be honest. Um, I think it changes the dynamic of what they can do in January. I think it changes. I mean, you saw, like you say, it was night and day the reactions from Conte to both goals. Uh, long ways, it was just like okay, but when that second one went in, he was going mad. And I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that it strengthens his position as well. Because in January, you know, or not even before, it's before January, really, during this break, when they sit down, him, Daniel Levy, Paratici, and they talk about, okay, where do we go from here? And, you know, he said the other week, didn't he, that the club know they need to buy good players in January. And it's a bit like now you've got, like we say, Spurs, you'd think will be top four, hopefully, by the time the break uh, comes. And then in the last 16 of the Champions League, you have to. 
you have to now back Conte. You can't, you're like, I'm sorry, we can't have another... Uh, I hate to use these guys as their names always seems to kind of be used in this way, but you can't have another Ryan Nelson, Louis Saha, January. You can't go for bargain, oh yeah, they'll do kind of things. Um, and from everything I've been told, it's like the summer was about making sure the quantity was right in the squad, with quality as well, of course. And now the quantity is right in the squad, but it's about looking at, okay, which of these people can we upgrade? Which can we kind of uh, allow them to maybe go on loan and we bring in a top ready-made player? And I think having the Champions League behind you, not even, we're going to go into financials in a moment, but not even the financial side, having that pull of saying to players you're trying to sign, yeah, yeah, we're in the last 16 of Champions League. It's like, come with me if you want to win kind of thing. It's like, it's like one of these things. Completely lost on non-movie guesty there, but those movie goes will get that reference. Um, although it was live, not win in the actual uh, movie. Um, yeah, and it does. It's that pull. It's Because obviously with the ability to change now and, and you can, um, what do you call it? You can register players now, can't you, for the knockout stages that you couldn't before. That's a big pull. But even just financially, I mean, my goodness. Just by winning that game alone in terms of getting to the round of 16, another 8.2 million in prize money. That's not including TV revenue, gate receipts, everything else that comes with matches as well. Um, but then even just winning the game, such is such a lucrative competition. Even when you win a group stage game compared to drawing it, and if you win a group stage game, you get 2.4 million. If you draw it, you get 800,000. So honestly, the money is piled up because of that um that's a huge thing so if you add that into like the financial power i guess of january but then on top of that you've also got obviously spurs stadium that is now being used constantly now we've got the nfl games in there you've got uh concerts you've got a tyson fury uh, Derek Ch chisora fight coming up as well all of this the money is rolling and that was the whole point of stadium was it was meant to be this big cash generator and that is what is going to be happening and then on top of that you still got the remaining 50 million from the 150 million pound capital increase. And that has to be drawn before the end of the year. Um, and thus far, if you look at Companies House, they've only taken 100 million from it. And it's very much on Enoch, I guess, and the club to draw that last 50 million. Because if it's done by the end of the year, then they increase their ownership of the club. So it's one of those things that you would imagine would happen. So that would signify from the outside that there will be a, a bit of money to spend in January as well. Um, and look, we know Conte's entire being and mood and everything will be determined by what they do in January and how much they back him as well. Um, so, yeah, I think having this Champions League next stage and knockout stages in their pocket as well is massive for that. It does change. It's similar to the summer, I guess, in terms of had they not managed to get that fourth place, maybe what they could have, they did in the summer compared to, like, I mean, it's just even like Richarlison. You know, could you have attracted Richarlison without the Champions League football? Would he have gone to a club that maybe did have it? It's, I think that was always his dream, wasn't it? And it's, it's little things like that as well. And, and even Basuma. Um, look, I know obviously we haven't seen the best of Richarlison yet because of the injury and we haven't seen the best of Basuma, but I do believe those two players will go on to be big players for Spurs this season. Um, but it is, it's just such a, an important factor. I think money gets you so far, but a lot of these players, they just want to be playing in the top competition. And um, that's what Spurs can offer now. Yeah. 
Right, let's move on to Liverpool. We'll briefly talk about that before you have to head off to Hotspur away for Antonio Conte's Tottenham press conference. Big, big game coming up for both teams this weekend. Tottenham, in third, got a good chance really maybe to close in on the likes of Arsenal because Arsenal play Chelsea uh, this weekend. There's some big games with those in the top six at the moment. Liverpool, on the other hand, <laughs> really struggling. To be honest, they are actually, as you say that. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually uh, five points away from the drop zone. Then eight oh, points to eight points to the Champions League. So, yeah, Liverpool. I think it could be seen as maybe a make a break game for them. It's like a must must win if they want to get top four. Come, can I just point out when we were Everton a few weeks back? You kind of were more on the fact of how close they were points wise to top four while ignoring that they were closer to the relegation zone. <laughs> and it feels like a double standard. I don't think it was that big a difference, like what Liverpool says. <laughs> it's not that big a difference, no. But as I was saying with like Club Brews and that, obviously underestimate them at your peril. I know they've had some really bad results this season. Last two in the league lost against Forest. Lost at home to Leeds. I think they've had five away games this season. Drawn two, lost three. Those not one on the road. But then they went away to Ajax and won three nil. Beat Napoli two nil in midweek. So I yeah, I know it was at home. I think wasn't it? But they didn't do too bad against Man City either. <laughs> it is uh, a big, big game uh, for both teams in terms of Tottenham. Then, given the injuries, formation. Will he go with three up front, or do you think it's a case of he's just going to do it as three man midfield again, just because of the lack of numbers? Honestly, I was thinking about this yesterday. It could go either way because I, there is a, a merit to me to having Perisic up there in the front three uh, and having Sessignon behind him. There's that element to it. I three five two. I, I am worried about Benzinger and if they can get him out there, what state he's going to be in because. You know, he was feeling his hamstring big time towards the end of that game, despite the fact that he's like dashed 50 yards for the Hoybier celebrations. He didn't look in a great way. And then also, he's going to be knackered. Um, it all depends. I think you do have the benefit of Tuesday to Sunday. I think that's going to help a few players that extra little time. And obviously, Conte gave them Wednesday and Thursday off. So, recovery wise, that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, if you have the midfield three, and let's say, Bentancur can't make it, then you're looking at Basuma, Skip and Hoybier, which is it's probably an un, an untested midfield, let's put it that way. Uh, although we have seen Spurs against Liverpool in the past that uh, we've spoke about this before with Lacelso on Dembele. No, sorry, uh, on Dembele, Winks and Deli Alley, wasn't it? Yeah, they it was. played really well against Liverpool. Um, but also, I don't know if I entirely like Lucas playing up front in a two. I don't know if that suits particularly well. Like I say, I, I, I didn't think out of all the players that kind of got credit, I don't know if he got too much credit against Marseille. I thought he had one of those games where he, second half, looked dangerous without being dangerous, perhaps. So I don't know whether there's a front two. Um, but then. Yeah, so I personally maybe am kind of leaning towards the 3-4-3. Perisic and Lucas either side of Kane, it, it probably works. Um, but then obviously they're going to win the midfield battle. I know they've got Henderson should be back. I think Milner's not available, isn't he? Um, 
Sonny is going to be a big miss. If they could, let's say, maybe get a Kulusevski back, you'd imagine he's only going to be on the bench. Um, so, yeah, there's it's a it's an interesting one. He's kind of got to pick a formation that counters the lost players as much as he can, um, and that's going to be the key thing. And obviously he's got wing wing-back decisions as well. Um, and does Ben Davies, you know, Ben Davies or Longley? Obviously, Romero's a doubt. So, do they keep? I think whether we see Romero again before the World Cup, I, I don't know. Um, it's, oh, Romero and injuries. Honestly, I, yeah, we both think Romero's fantastic, but there's going to get to a stage where we're going to start seeing him as a bit injury prone because he is. He's missing these kind of sections of football. And unfortunately, timing-wise, Spurs fans' conspiracy theories are always going to be they keep coming up around international times. Most of the times he's got injured as being on international duty as well. Um, and yeah, it's going to be one of those, isn't it, where if he comes back and he's fit just in time to be able to go with his country to the World Cup, um, and I feel like Argentina have been asking clubs to allow their players to go early as well. And it's just, oh, no, the timing of this. Was it a calf injury, I think? I can't remember now. Yeah, it was muscle fatigue in his calf uh, from yeah. the Newcastle game. Then the wrist thing against Spartan. And, yeah, just missing the past few games after that. Yeah, timing-wise, it's really not helping him. So, and, you know, Sanchez looks shaky against Bournemouth. I, I presume he sticks with that back three if everyone's fit to play. Um, obviously, Dyer on the right. Longley did fine. I don't think he was brilliant first half, but I thought second half he was much, much better. Davies' passing was dreadful in the first half, but he got better. I was trying to think, was he the one who put the challenge in that led to the second goal? It wasn't technically a pass to go. I think it was Davies. Someone said it might have been Skip, but I think it was Davies. Actually, a little shout-out to Skippy. I thought in a big stakes game, coming on for Benton Co in the last 10 minutes... I thought he did quite well. He did a lot of uh, kind of important moments, I felt, down the um, the left-hand side when he made tackles, got the ball out of play, just stopped little attacks and things like that. Um, yeah, I don't know which way they're going to go. It's going to be interesting. Well, what do you think they'll do? I'm with you, to be honest. I'd go with uh, a front three of Perisic, Kane and Lucas. I just don't think Kane and Lucas as the two would probably work. I think the two would be fine if it was either Son or Richarlison up mm. with Kane, but Kane and Lucas, nah, I just don't think so. So I'd go with the uh, those three up front, same back three, I'd probably bring Emerson in, at right wing back, Sessa left wing back, and then obviously Saul Gale would be dependent on Benson Kerr, but if he's fit, then Benson Kerr and Hoiberg in the middle. Uh, so yeah, going to be a, a really tough game. Liverpool have had the struggles, but still you're going to have to be on it against in the team and you just can't give the likes of Salah and that a chance on goal because they'll take it so yeah uh, fingers crossed Tottenham can get the job done because if Arsenal drop points against Chelsea you know they can move closer uh, to Arsenal and then you'd be expecting Newcastle to win at Southampton as well so points are a must uh, at this stage because Tottenham need to put themselves in a really good position to attack the second half of the Premier League season Right, 
we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guests Hot Tottenham so you can get off to Hotspur Way Ali for the press conference as ever thank you for listening in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news grab your VPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.